Welcome to episode 214 of the Spokesman Cycling Roundtable podcast. This show was recorded on Monday, 13th of May, 2019. The Spokesman Cycling Roundtable podcast is brought to you by Jensen USA, where you'll always find a great selection of products at amazing prices with unparalleled customer service. For more information, just go to jensenusa.com slash the spokesman. Hey everybody, it's David from the Fredcast Cycling Podcast at www.thefredcast.com. I'm one of the hosts and producers of the Spokesman Cycling Roundtable Podcast. For show notes, links, and all sorts of other information, please visit our website at www.the-spokesmen.com. And now, here are the Spokesmen. Hi there, I'm Carlton Reed, and on this episode of The Spokesman... I'll be chatting with Colorado-based attorney Jim Moss and London-based cycle journalist Laura Laker. We were meant to be chatting together, but there was a timing mix-up. However, I went back and recorded Laura separately, and I've dropped her audio into a part of the conversation with Jim that got split by the actual real-life events. I record this show from home, and well, well, you'll hear. And uh, good afternoon, good morning, um, all those things that we have to do because we are uh, always, as always, uh, recording different time zones. Uh, so we never know where people are going to be uh, from and, and, and saying hello from. Uh, today we were going to have uh, Laura Laker on. Like last show we had we had a no-show and that was because Jim, who is coming on the, on the show today, was ill. We'll talk about that in a second. But we were going to have Laura on and she said she's going out for a bike ride. And I think she hasn't come back from that bike ride yet. And I'll just have to tell you, in the UK, I, I know Jim uh, is having a different uh, story, but in the UK, it is a, an unbelievably beautiful spring day today. So I can well imagine why Laura would not be back from her bike ride just yet. If she comes back in the meantime, we will bring her on the call. But Jim, you were telling me before we came on air that Colorado's having some weird weather which seems to be the norm now weird weather yeah we've we've finally got seven days coming up where you it'll be in the 70s which is it's not the temperature it's just as supposedly we're not going to have a thunderstorm or a snowstorm uh, during that seven day period since since march when we should have been riding regularly uh, we've had a snowstorm every other week. Now, not a lot, I mean, but it's enough that it it just makes riding uh, a little bit more exciting. And of course, it makes finding a dry mountain bike ride extremely difficult. Um, I had I, my backyard slopes a little bit, and and I actually had standing water at the bottom yesterday because we've had so much snow, so much water, um, and and constantly we get one good day of riding in, and then boom, the next five days are shot. Um, it, had, it does seem we, we we have this conversation with with guests on this show frequently. When we, it's almost like a, a a noted segment of the show where people tell us where they are, tell us what, what kind of weather they're having, and then we always end up going, "Is that kind of freaky at the moment?" And that just it's just I mean you you could re replay those conversations around the world. We're having some freaky weather. It shouldn't be happening like this, and yet we do have politicians 
some well-known big politicians um, who no. say this thing is doesn't exist. And of course, uh, it's, you, know you just look outside. Just look outside the window. There, there. If you want some evidence, there's some evidence. Yeah, we. You know, I've I've lived in Colorado now since 1985. And one of the lines that you hear a lot and that I say myself is you move to Colorado because of the mountains, because you're a rock climber or a skier or something like that, or you love hiking, backpacking, and the mountains are just beautiful. But you stay in Colorado because of the weather. It's just they got the greatest weather in the United States, more sunny days than San Diego. And a cloudy day here is, is you know, a couple hours of clouds. That's called a cloudy day in Colorado. And, and all of a sudden this spring, I feel like I'm back back living in the east coast or the midwest where it's just been cloudy for days on end um mm. the weather is very very different from the 25 30 previous years of me leaving here for the last three or four years it's just not the same okay so this is episode 214 of the freaky weather channel <laughs> um <laughs> let's let's get on to the, today's show and um Start with something you sent through, Jim, and that is, it's absolutely will have resonance here in the UK. In fact, as soon as you sent it through to me and I read the first, I was like, okay, this is something that uh, we are very familiar with. Um, and even though this is a US story, so you can you can cue it up, but it's basically in Outside Online. It's a Joe Lindsay piece, so it's, it's very in-depth and very, very uh, well written because Joe's a fantastic writer. And then I added a link um, after you because it's mentioned in the story and that is and, and this is where we'll, we'll give the clue away what the story is about so it's it's crash not accident is the is the link and the campaign so jim tell us about the story that you sent through and, and why it resonates with you well he wrote this phenomenal article about the fact that maybe the whole issue of cyclists versus and, and pedestrians versus vehicles is also compounded by the fact of the way we write about um how those accidents occur. We know that the police officers, cops, write up their reports on an accident between a bike and a car as the cyclist's fault. No matter who is at fault, it's the cyclist's fault in the way they write. They may say car was at, at, at fault, but the, the language they use, the adjectives, the adverbs, the verbs makes it sound when you read it like the cyclist was at fault. Um, so, and, Jim, can I just talk about it? Is, it? Does it make a difference that we are now sporting cameras? So how much of a difference does that make? The fact that you don't rely on police anymore, you can actually produce your own video evidence. It's major. I, I encourage every single person writing to go get uh, a, a GoPro, go get two GoPros, put one in the front, one in the back. Um, I have a fly six on the back and I have a mm. GoPro I, I ride with on the front. Um, it's, it's just critical. Um, I think that it's changing the way uh, cops treat cyclists. It's changing mm. the way that cars may pass cyclists. Um, I wish there was a way to indicate the three foot to pass because I would take the videos and send them to the cops if I could prove someone was too close to me here in Colorado. Mm. Um, but yes, it is. But but it, it's more of the, the even as Americans, we're reading these articles where a, ca a car plowed into a cyclist and the journalists who are writing the articles for the paper or the news or whatever, 
are even riding in such a way that it makes the cyclists at fault, even though well, the cyclists it, may it, not be at fault. And this is the very common thing, and then it's the removing the agency. Basically, you're saying car hits cyclist, and instead of motorist hits cyclist. So in the UK, when these when these examples come up, the the, the way of critiquing it is saying another driverless car. We you know we have driverless cars already on the road. If you believe journalists in their reporting, because they never say it's a motorist kills a pedestrian, kills a cyclist. It's always these incredible, these these cars that are doing it. It's not the motorists yeah. at all. It's not the people doing it. So just the fact that you remove the human agency is already editorializing this, is already saying, removing part of the blame, just, just without even reading any single part of the text, you've already removed potentially one of the, the, the things that are most likely to blame the human yes and, and we're and and subconsciously we're passing that blame from one human to another and there's there's your dog growling away yeah. i've got to say i i also might have a dog but the, the dog that uh, i've got uh, down here is much quieter than your dog well i am i am assuming we 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 may we may live to to regret me saying that uh, we've got a dog here for weeks so our guide dog who we had for a while uh, she has now gone. She's she's in the army now. She's 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 off to training, so we we no longer have her. But we, we've got another dog here, uh, which we are uh, looking after. If my kids come in, uh, my daughter's just come in from a trip to Australia, and she's uh, arriving soon, then this dog will start going crazy. Uh, if that doesn't happen, and we we make the whole recording of the show, fantastic. Otherwise, uh, that's potentially how that dog. That's here might do the same as uh, your dog there. So, Jim, can I ask you, uh, from your with your attorney hat on, do you come in any other way of of, of your professional life? Do you see that uh, where you remove the agency uh, of the object? Do you see that anywhere else, or is this just purely on the roads? Wow, I, I'm sure. Well, I I would guess that it has, you see it in race in police reports. I would guess that you see it in uh, race in um, most governmental reports. Since 99%, 85, 90% of the people working for the government are white Caucasians, um, you probably see that in race. But, I, but I've never looked for it before. I only look for it in cycling because that's what affects me. Um, so, uh, but I'm sure it's there. I know, I know I've, I've read legal articles about it in, uh, in criminal reports on any, uh, crime where if you are, well, and you see it in the courthouses, you know, you go to the courthouse, the only people there are poor, underprivileged, um, uh, black, Latino, um, very few whites, um, because, the white people can afford to hire an attorney. And that's what you see. You see suits and you see dirty. Uh, the attorneys are standing up in the back of the room because they don't want to sit down on the dirty seats. Uh, it's, it's sad, but there is a lot of prejudice in what we do, no matter what. So this lack of agency thing is mainly on the roads. And, and when, when I've had this conversation uh, on Twitter, and we have this uh, frequently uh, on Twitter, certain certain cycle advocates uh, absolutely talk about this. 
uh, it's that, that when journalists come on and say, well, why they, why did they write that? Why did they didn't say the actual was a motorist and the standard excuse we get, and it, we, we've never been able to, to find out, uh, where they're getting this from. There's no like, you know, press association guidelines that say they must do this, but even though they say there is, so their excuse from, from journalists is, uh, because it's, um, before the, the it's come to c- there is my son. Hang on for a second, Jim. I'm going to yeah. stop this for a second. Yeah, that was a, a bit of an interruption there because my daughter has just returned from two months away in Australia. She arrived a little bit early. Uh, so apologies for for uh, disappearing there. However, it, uh, it allows me to introduce Laura, who we said was going to be on the show. And then uh, I said, if she if she pops up, we'll get her on. And it's actually the day after. However, we have Laura now. So, Laura, you're 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 on the show now. Uh, welcome to you. Now you were on a bike ride yesterday. I was. Yes, I went out in Epping Forest on a road ride with a load of women from the Islington Cycling Club, which was brilliant. We had great weather. Uh, I'm training for the ride across Britain, which is Lands End to John O'Groats over nine days which I'm doing in September. So I'm basically doing a lot of road riding at the moment and also static bike riding and using heart rate monitors and all sorts of things which I haven't used before. So it's quite exciting. Gosh. Yeah. But you did on, on Twitter, unfortunately, you said you're getting a bit of abuse. Is that abuse because you are women? Abuse because you are cyclists? What, what, what do you put it down to? Who knows? So I usually will go out either off-road or on the road, but I don't often go out with cycle clubs. Um, so I'm not sure if this is was specific to us being women, or I doubt it, to be honest. Um, but yeah, it was quite shocking, actually. We were Most of the time it was fine, but we were on quite busy roads. So heading out of, I met up with them at Waltham Forest, and then mm-hmm. we rode out towards Epping Forest, and then... Um, yeah, there were a few, there was a sort of a mix of A roads and quiet country lanes, and just a, a lot of very impatient and some quite angry drivers, and uh, yeah, it was really shocking. And also motorcyclists, and I yeah, I was not expecting that at all. I mean, I've I've had the old driver be a bit grumpy on the roads, and sometimes it gets quite scary, but I've never had anything like this. It felt like. Sort of quite consistently aggressive, close passing, people overtaking far too fast, far too close, sort of weaving in where there was a gap in the group. There were a couple of groups actually, and occasionally we'd meet up with each other and then stretch out again. And um, Mm. yeah, just incredibly, incredibly aggressive. And I was quite worried at several points for myself and the other riders. And if you're at the back and you hear someone coming up towards you from behind and you think they're going to overtake you and you just don't know how much room they're going to give you, but you just get a sense that. If there is roads policing in that part of the world, they're not really tackling sort of everyday aggression that people seem to have built up to mm. think is okay, which when clearly it's not. Um, so yeah, for most of the time, I was just we were just sort of saying, "Oh, that was dangerous," but some of them made me quite angry actually because you know people's safety at the end of the day. So yeah. So. So later in the show, we actually, me and Jim, talked about British Cycling's Mutual Respect campaign. And of course, you wrote about that too for The Guardian, um, where in effect, you were also disagreeing with it uh, and saying, well, it can't be mutual respect in effect because, you know, these drivers are in these big, aggressive machines and you're on a a, a flibbity-jibbity 
bicycle. <laughs> so there isn't equality there. Yeah. So so describe your Guardian piece then. Why why were you so upset with British cycling? Well, I wasn't upset actually. I just I just sort of advised again. I would advise against. Uh, mutual respect campaign and to be fair to British Cycling this was not the main crux of their of their sort of um, take home from this survey of their 15,000 of their members um, it was one sort of I think it was a thought and you know as a way to perhaps solve some of the issues that we've just talked about and that their members have said on mass is an issue you know 97% of them also having driving licenses so they know what it's like from the other side it's not about people being disrespectful on bikes it's about people not understanding from the other side so my kind of point what and you know as part of that um part of their suggestions um was consistent funding for cycling and you know decent infrastructure and also working with businesses which is quite an interesting idea to get uh, their employees cycling because lack of showers and facilities uh, was also something that was raised by people but in terms of dealing with driver behavior, I would say that there does need to be more of a policing presence because it and it doesn't have to be just about, you know, giving people tickets, putting points on people's licenses. That's not what um, what uh, police forces like the West Midlands have been doing. It's mainly an education piece. And I think coming from that authority figure, from a police person, and they're not out to intimidate anyone. I've been out with the Met Police when they did their close pass operation and they're very sort of. Um, gentle approach towards drivers they say you know did you realize you overtook this uh, cyclist at you know very close proximity and sometimes it's crazy because sometimes the drivers don't even realize they've overtaken someone on a bike they didn't even mm. notice that they've, they've mm. just gone past someone which is quite mind-boggling really but anyway so th- their point is just to say this is what you need to do you need to look out for people on bikes this is the amount of space you need to give them and they show them the picture of the highway code the 1.5 meters is a bit arbitrary it doesn't say anything about it in the, in the highway code the picture in the highway code shows um a car overtaking a bike almost leaving that lane into the other lane so it's all but mm. um and so yeah showing them that picture and then it's only the drivers who are do the very, very dangerous manoeuvres, who are deliberately aggressive or have other issues with either their licence, insurance or their vehicle that they um, will then deal with in a more robust way. So, and, but I just, I think that that, and evidence shows, the evidence from the West Midlands is the um, cycling collisions were reduced by 20% in the first year of that operation and the amount that people were reporting um, close passes on bikes dropped dramatically as well. So, you know, they went with an evidence-based approach. These are the issues that are troubling people on bikes. It's the close passes, it's um, speed, and and then that's what they did to tackle it. And surprise, surprise, evidence-based approach worked. Whereas with with sort of mutual respect campaigns, very weak evidence, if any, that they work. And I, yeah, I'm not sort of out to, um, yeah, I think, you know, that was an idea and perhaps not the best idea. So, yeah, that's my thought. Mm. Mm. Well, for that idea to work, it would have to have Chris Boardman backing it. And, of course, he didn't back it. He was very much of the opinion that, yeah, these things don't work. Uh, But it was a Brexit thing. You know, well, our members want this, so we're going to ask for it. But, in effect, I don't think even British Cycling believe it's going to work yeah. they just said well this is what our members want and uh and it, it's all nice and, and it sounds great in theory but it's in the cold light of day mm. when when a nun 
when a, a sweet old lady in a in a car who you would think you know wouldn't be out there to kill you behind the wheel of a car would potentially they could and that might is right on the roads in effect lots of people believe that you know they you know you talked about there people don't overtake you don't even know they they're doing it yeah. that's because you're, you're of no harm to them mm. you're not you, you pose no risk yeah. and so they blank they blank you out yeah and a lot of people have been driving for a long time they took their test a long time ago and this is what police have told me they started driving have been driving during a period in which there aren't actually that many people cycling on the roads so they didn't learn to maneuver safely around people on bikes they started driving at a time when the roads were quieter they haven't since learned how to do that and um mm. i you know i think obviously this issue needs tackling because it's huge it's a huge issue and it's it's the number one reason that people aren't getting out on bikes. So if the government's serious about making cycling and walking the natural choice for short journeys, it really needs to, you know, think about investing in, in policing of the roads because it's not just unpleasant for people on bikes, it's unpleasant for people who are walking, it's unpleasant for other drivers. You know, I've seen uh, just this morning, I saw someone honking another driver because they weren't setting off from the lights fast enough. Yesterday, I saw a driver honking another driver for not driving fast enough and you know it's drivers feel bullied by other drivers and feel like they have to mm. achieve a certain speed and it's not a target it's a limit so mm. um i think yeah i think there's a big problem and i think you know british cycling are doing great work the survey i think is very valuable a huge number of people responded and what they said was that the roads in this country don't feel safe and you know if these are these are members of a cycling organization they're you know presumably quite keen mm. on cycling and quite keen to keep doing it for, for people who a casual cyclist potentially look at the roads, think there's no way I'm getting on, on my bike uh, on that. And so, yeah, if we're going to tackle that, British Cycling can only do so much. It can mm. campaign for safer roads, but it can't it can't have this policing element. You know, that's that's not up to them to sort of do. Well, the, the safety element and getting more people on bikes is, of course, one of the overarching themes uh, of every single Velo City conference yeah. which has been going on for for many years um i've been to a few i'm sure you've been to a few laura but we're now going to uh, dublin in june and we're yeah. sort of going together yeah exciting very exciting and, and what what happened yesterday was when when we me and jim were recording the show and, and expecting you on there but you were you were a no show i don't check my fine. emails on a sunday that's the thing if you texted me or called me i would have answered but um, I, did, I didn't even know you were trying to get hold of me. No, no, it's okay. I, I should have texted you. Yeah. You're quite right. Uh, but when when you uh, 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 were just about to go on uh, do the the show recording uh, was when we actually went over our Kickstarter target. Yeah, so it would have been really cool to have you on the show and like click or just refresh your your computer, Laura, because uh, look, we've gone over our target. So tell tell everybody what what are we doing in Dublin and and what are we raising on money on Kickstarter? For? So yes, we are going to Dublin. Uh, we're going to the Velo City Conference, which is between the 25th and the 28th of June. We are going to be reporting from the conference. We're going to be interviewing the speakers and we're going to be producing podcasts on a daily basis, which are going to be aired in the evening of each day of the summit. We're going to do interviews. We're going to do some audio from the, from the conference. We're going to do a protected Twitter feed, which we're going to be um, regularly updating. 
there's going to be a website. We, oh, there's already a website, actually, isn't there? Um, mm-hmm. There's going to be, later on, there's going to be additional reflections and audio from the conference. And, yeah, it's basically an important psychoadvocacy event. So we're hoping to hear from some interesting people, hear some interesting ideas, hear some stories from around the world, some success stories. And, um, yeah, we're going to have it all in one place. So it's exciting. So you were in the Netherlands, weren't you? I know that for a fact because the photograph that's on the Kickstarter is yeah. me taking a photograph uh, of, of you yeah. uh, with Brian Deegan and, and uh, Gail yes, um, from South Africa, Brett from South Africa. Because you're right, it's a very international thing. So you were surrounded by international people as we're cycling along, in effect, a motorway yeah, for bicycles. Exactly, yeah. Um, near on. On Nijmegen uh, bike. bike motorway yeah we cycled there mm. to the museum of dutch life which was great loads of windmills and uh, then we cycled back it's fantastic yeah so what do you what do you take away from conferences like velo city is it just people you know glad handing each other yeah. and congratulating <laughs> each other? Does, do, con- do concrete things come out of this i think well, my, one of my favorite things is is the stories from around the world so different ideas that people have come up with and different ways of encouraging cycling and different kind of innovations really so i guess that's the great thing about about all these international speakers coming together and representatives from different cities is you all, you all have a common goal. You want to make it easier for people to get around by bike. And, yeah, different people have different approaches. And, and it's like any, anything where lots of different people get together. You, ideas start to form. So you have conversations. And then that conversation might, you might put something together with another conversation you've had and think, oh, hang on, um, maybe these two things could work together. And so I think it's a bit of a sort of, I don't know, a sort of melting pot of ideas. And from those come other ideas. And so I think this helps forward the cause and helps forward thinking around active travel, which is very, which is really exciting. And it's quite a positive experience. And it's, um, yeah, people getting together who want the same thing and, you know, want to make the world a better place through cycling. So it's, yeah, it's a very sort of positive vibe coming out there, I think. Hmm. And there's like normally 500 plus delegates, literally from all over the world. Mm. Um, and yeah, yeah, right. It's a, it's a melting pot of ideas. Yeah. So you go there and you talk to people and you think, oh, I haven't heard of that before. Oh, we should try that in our country. Oh, yeah, we can mm. do that. And that's how you, 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 you get some of the programs that have worked in the Netherlands, for instance, you know, propagate and, and come across to, to the UK, go across to the US and ideas flow. Yeah, exactly. So that's what we are doing. We are, we're, thanks to Kickstarter, we are now going uh, to be able to go to um, Dublin and report and do a podcast. And so there won't be anything on the spokesman. Everything will be on uh, uh, Virtual Velo City. So if you're looking on Kickstarter, if you want to back that, that's where you can find it, Virtual Velo City. And Velo City is uh, velo dash city and as i've been told by the organizers it's very important to have the lowercase c <laughs> so it's not fellow uppercase c city it's 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 because it was obviously a play on velocity yeah. originally so it's 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 that kind of thing so lowercase c is actually quite important to the organizers uh and now i understand that so i shall never spell it with an uppercase c ever again 
Uh, Laura, it's been fantastic uh, talking with you today. And now uh, we are going to go back to to me and Jim. So uh, after that interruption uh, where my daughter came in, we'll go back to the show. Right, Jim, I'm back with you. Are you there still? I'm here. Perfect. So I might sound a bit different now because my daughter has arrived back uh, from Australia and I've said hello to her. After two months being away, uh, I really can't remember where I got up to. Can you remember where I got up to there, Jim? I was talking about, oh, yes, journalists yeah. and why they why they say what they do. So they blame it on um, stylistic guidelines, in effect, saying uh, we have to write this because it's, if, we, if we write a motorist, we're then prejudicial in terms of, um, you know, uh, any court case later on. And that's absolute rubbish because they quite happily um, talk about somebody who's wielding a knife. They don't say, you know, they don't remove the agency there. They, they frequently, uh, uh, they, they absolutely do mention names. They mention everything. It does just seem to be on the roads where the agency is removed. And it's now become so endemic with journalists. I think they just think that's what they're meant to do. When it's a road, and I'm going to use, as, as Joe Lindsay's article uh, mentioned, I'm going to use this uh, in, in inverted commas here, accident. When it's a road accident, and we should say crash, when it's a road accident, then journalists now just naturally take the agency away. Take, take, it's always a driverless car. Yep. And that's just weird, Jim, yeah? Yes. And it's different. I would say it wasn't like that 10, 15 years ago. This is something that's coming in the last, last five to 10 years. Yeah, because you always had, I mean, it used to be you would also even have mugshot, you know, and that was a human. Mm. Um, and, and now the description starts out with the type of vehicle, you know, mm -hmm. a, a 1996 Chevy whatever plows into versus, mm. um, I, I mean, unless the, unless the driver has something distinguishing, you know, drunk or something along those lines. Uh, you're right. It's it's purely vehicular versus the dead cyclist. So what do you think has caused this? Because journalists absolutely think it's a guideline, even though we know it's not. Is this just a, a is this like a, a virus? You know, journalists have think they've got to do this. They've seen others do it. And so they just start doing it. And then if you actually start asking them, why do you do this? And they don't actually know why they're doing it. Except we have a tendency nowadays. First of all, there's so much writing going on. I mean, everybody's a journalist now online. But I also think, and, and I do this for my own writing, I read a lot of stuff and I find myself writing more like the person who I just read that I like. You know, I should, I should write more like the person who I just read that had the most followers or got the most hits or whatever. But if I like the mm -hmm. article, and I'm wondering if that has something to do with it, that if there's someplace someone just started saying vehicle rather than than, than human, and and somebody it just picked up and, and flowed that way, um, mm. and now they're just copying each other. Yeah, I mean you don't see journalism schools changing, um, you know, because the professors there don't change. <laughs> mm. So mm. so I have no idea. But this this. Is 
But this is obviously both both sides of the Atlantic. So this is a problem in the US, as this Joe Lindsay article attests to, and it's absolutely a, a, a problem here. So it's a problem that if it's, it's a virus thing, it's it's caught on on both sides of the Atlantic. But but there is no online. There is no borders anymore. Mm. I, I mean, haven't you picked, clicked on a link, and until you finally ran into a word that was spelled differently or used differently, did you realize that you're reading an article written by an author that wasn't based in the UK or in my case, wasn't based in the US? I I do that all the time. I read all sorts of UK based articles and until I'm a third of the way through them, did I realize that, oh, this is an article about the UK because they spelled that wrong, you know? (laughs) Mm. Right? I mean, our Mm. borders are disappearing. In the UK, you're trying to get them back again, but yeah, yeah. I was going to say that that is true. Uh, yeah, but as you've uh, intimated there, at the same time, borders are very, very much people want to, you know, they want to erect walls. But, but genuine. But the walls. internet is tearing them down. Mm. Mm. Yeah, sometimes so, in not good ways. So, so the internet can be a bit of a sewer at times, and it can be sure. a, a force for good at times. I, I have an R, it, I, I read a lot of RSS feeds. Instead of getting the emails every day, I, I have seven hundred RSS feeds that I sort of go through. Um, mm. And one of them is for the Boy Scouts of America, and one of them is for scouting. And this morning, three of the articles under the scouting RSS feed were in a language that I couldn't read. I had no idea what it was. I think it might have been Arabic, but I'm not sure. You know, my computer doesn't know borders. Consequently, that's becoming less and less and less after me. Mm. I mean, it's just I don't know borders either anymore until I have to fly someplace new and find my passport. But you do know man flu because that's why you didn't appear last time. You had some sort of lurgy. Is lurgy a word? Do you understand what lurgy means? Uh, I'm guessing it means hanging in around and not going away. No, no. A lurgy means an illness. Oh, nope. So I, have I, no idea. I, I always like to find words that, that uh, you've never heard of. So I've now discovered one. That's good. So I, if in, in the UK, somebody says you've got a lurgy, that means you're ill. Huh. So so you you had a lurgy. Yeah. <laughs> You you were ill last time because we had uh, we had a show where you were going to come on and uh, uh, Mariut who who was on there uh, who, who's written an article uh, a presentation that went has gone viral now uh, with with Chris Boardman and everybody else uh, retweeting it uh, but she came on the show you were going to be on the show and then uh, you were a no show and you told me afterwards because you just you were incredibly ill so what was going on there I. You know, with the good comes bad, maybe Gail and I got lucky and fell into the Southwest promotion for flights to Hawaii. So we took off on a last minute trip, flew to Hawaii for eight days. And on the way back, I was in an airplane with, I think, 30 different kids for five hours. And I Mm. believe I caught every disease each of those kids had had in the last couple of years. And Mm -hmm. I'm still just getting over it i this cold sinus infection i had then moved my lungs um and for two weeks now breathing has been exciting um 
I'm fine. I'm healthy. I'm just, you know, every once in a while, I lost a lot of capacity. So I have to get that back. But well, you were in bed. Cause I, I, I <laughs> that was out. a great excuse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was signed up for the show and then I was out like a light. I just, um, I'm assuming you had some sort of soporific drug to, to, to like in the UK, we have like a night nurse type thing, like a, a, a cold drug that will actually knock you out a bit were you on that or were you just so ill you had to go to bed i just didn't get up i was, <laughs> yeah i was having a hard time sleeping until i could finally figure out a way to get my lungs clear so i wouldn't have to sit mm. up hacking um and so when i finally got my lungs clear i just slept uh it's the first time in a couple of weeks i'd had more than four or five hours sleep so i was unconscious well, good to have you on the show now and that you sound absolutely uh, recovered. Now, talking about drugs, which we, we, we sort of semi did there, or, or like medicinal drugs. Well, here's a medicinal, and this is where the segue was meant to be there, Jim. Uh, this is a segue into your your article, which you sent through. And it it really doesn't make any sense whatsoever to me because we don't have these laws here. But you can tell us uh, in the U.S. Where the, the context of this particular article. So it's a New York Times article, and it's in effect saying people who exercise more are probably going to be more likely to be recreational users of cannabis. Yeah. So what's going on there, Jim? Well, the, the, the article talks about the fact that Probably people who, and it's a small study, so who knows, but probably they're less likely to be anxious about going to the gym, and they're also less likely to be um, uh, anxious at the gym, and so therefore the workout itself is more enjoyable. Um, but th this has been floating around Colorado for several years because immediately after we legalized um, marijuana, there were several semi-good athletes, mm. not professional level, but notches below them, who said, yeah, I train using marijuana cannabis um, because um, yeah, I think it does this. And they had the reasons for it. And there have been several articles floating through Colorado. I mean, good, well-written articles about uh, the use of marijuana uh, by athletes. And now the New York Times picked it up. And I thought it was just and hilarious. Uh, were you then going to go on to talk about Floyd? Because that, when I read that article, that's that's what you know just hit me. Well, as like, well, well, Floyd is up there in Leadville, and he's selling this stuff, and he's an, a former athlete. I mean, I'm assuming he still works out now. Yeah, well, he don't you tell good. me if he does. Yeah, well, so he's working out. He's an athlete, and he's selling this stuff. So is that the link? Well, no, because Floyd's a little slightly different. Floyd's of Leadville is mostly CBD, which is pain relief. Um, Floyd doesn't sell any of the get high properties. He's selling the, the, the pain relief. You got a sore knee, sore whatever. Um, people used to use Arnica or aspirin or whatever. You, you can uh, take CBD, which is the pain relieving part of marijuana. And I don't know the technical breakdown of this the chemical breakdown. Uh, and it released pain. And, and I'll be honest with you, they gave me some at the last interbike demo. Uh, and it, I was walking around with a sore knee, and an hour later I realized that my knee wasn't sore. Um, so it, it may work. It's very tempting. Um, 
this is just the pure, the get high, the the, um, the 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 issue of getting high and then working out uh, on, on marijuana, that... not the pain relief, the marijuana, the, the anxiety relieving properties of getting high on grass. Mm. See, all of that is, I, mean, I, I don't know how much of the rest of the UK audience would agree with me here, but that is all just totally alien to us uh, yeah. because of uh, non-legalization and because even the medical side of it, I mean, the, the stories we hear in, in the press are all about how, you know, uh, children are being refused uh, uh, this stuff, even though it's, you know, helping them with their seizures. And so people are spending an absolute fortune at traveling abroad and, and bring this stuff in and then risking arrest yeah. for bringing this uh, CBD stuff in. We and so that's what we get. We don't, we don't get any of the, the, the legalization stuff and, and, and the sports stuff. We don't get any of that here. Well, we, we've got 17 states now where some form of marijuana use is legal in some way, medical, whatever. <clears throat> and excuse me, and so it's it's growing. The, the, the biggest issue we still have is the fact that research is all funded by the federal government because it's illegal federally. There's no good research on the use of marijuana. Uh, <clears throat> specifically, we just passed a law to allow more use for kids for medical reasons, and I think that law said that there was going to be some money for research. Uh, because as mm. you said, there's a ton of parents out there who swear by the stuff that mm. swear that it makes, I mean, dozens here in Colorado, dozens of people moved to Colorado so their kids could go to school because they were having so many seizures without it. Their kids couldn't go to school. Mm. And now they're in school for the first time. ever. Mm. So are there states around Colorado, which doesn't have this, does this cluster in states or is it like you know east coast yes west coast no which, which states have got this legalization um i don't know oh california washington <laughs> california yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, kind of assume that yeah <laughs> um i don't so there's no, there, there's not a noted cluster then where you think oh yeah well of course these states would have this or is it like you know the states that you know, had death penalty would then have this. And is there, is there like a common denominator that the kind of state that would have this would also be liberal in other ways? No, because you've got uh, some state you may, or Michigan has legalized it. Um, and it's been, you know, that's sort of a, a Republican stronghold. Um, mm. And then uh, Minnesota. Wow. I just pulled up a map. It's sort of amazing. Um, Arizona's you know, fully legal. Yeah. Now, most conservative states—Montana, Arizona, North Dakota, mm. Utah—it's um, uh, <laughs> fully illegal. You know. And yeah, Utah, I can jail. imagine. Yeah. Yeah, still going to jail. Um, yeah. Florida. It's tough enough to get a drink there. Yeah, Florida, Georgia, Illinois, Ohio. Wow, Ohio. Uh, though there's some forms that. Or, or they've decriminalized it. That's the other thing. Um, use versus decriminalization. Uh, a lot of states have decriminalized it, which means if you have get caught possessing it, you, mm. you don't get arrested. You can't buy it anywhere. It's still illegal to buy. It's still illegal to grow. But 
if you grow up for yourself, you're not going to go to jail anymore. Um, yeah. But there's, it's, it's quite interesting. Clusters? No. Uh, just the West Coast, Washington, Oregon, California, Nevada, Alaska. Alaska's mm. always had personal use. Um, mm. You could grow, I think, four or six plants in Alaska forever. Anyway, I'll, I'll put that, the, the, the headline of the, the New York Times piece is the stoner <laughs> as gym rat. And I'll also put a link, of course, into to Floyd's of Leadville. Um, for those who, I'm, I'm absolutely assuming you can't export that stuff to the UK or to Europe, but nope. uh, certainly anybody, any listeners in the US, um, can, can you can export it out of state? This no. stuff. So you, if you're living in a, so you can't. If you live in a state that doesn't allow this, you can't import this. Right. Um, I if you live in a state that does allow it, you can import it from Floyd's, or is um, that how does it work? Floyd, I think they're making it in each of the states that if you can drive it from one state to the other, if it's legal in the state you're driving through. But mm. there was a big arrest the other day uh, in Kansas where it's still illegal, where they were bringing in hemp which is quasi-legal in all states, mm. the gray mm. area, to Colorado, and they arrested the truck drivers with these semis and put them in jail in Kansas. Um, so so there's still a lot of states, and you can't take them on airplanes, you can't take them on trains. Mm -hmm. uh, I was talking to the manager of a car rental service in uh, at the Denver International Airport who said that, they used to get a couple cases of beer left over in cars every week. Now they're getting about a 55-gallon drum of leftover grass. Because people <laughs> land in Colorado, they buy too much, um, mm -hmm. and they, they can't do it. The other thing I heard, the other somebody the other day said he, he cycles along the highway going out to DIA because people throw it out the windows. <laughs> <laughs> and he picks it all up there. So... Um, yeah, you can't travel with it. You need to buy it in the state where it's located. I mean, people, I'm sure, mm. are going to have different comments. I mean, you could probably go, or, you know, the West Coast, Washington, Oregon, California, Nevada, mm. drive around with it. But and, and you could drive from Washington through Canada to Alaska with it, I'm pretty sure now, since Canada mm. legalized it. Um, but I wouldn't want to drive too many other places. And just because you have, a, and that's the other next thing, if it's, a state where they've legalized it for me for medical use. Mm. I don't know if you have a medical card in one state that has validity in the other state. I, I just, I don't do any marijuana law, although it's, I'll be honest with you, it's getting tempting. Uh, the largest growth category age group in Colorado is baby boomers. And they're using it for the pain and, and relaxing properties. Um, it's, it's not 20 and 30 year old stoners who are using it. It's the you know, 55 to, to 80 year olds. Mm -hmm. The ones who started the thing in the sixties. So. Mm, mm, the psychedelic generation. Yeah. And then Denver just decriminalized psychedelic mushrooms last week. Mm -hmm. So come to Colorado, get stoned and then ride a hard mountain. <laughs> Yes, the the local uh, tourist authority. There's their their next camp. Yeah, that's got them scared. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's 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 move on. We were going to talk about the Giro, uh, but we haven't got Tim on the show, so we we did assume that uh, uh, the the passion might not be quite 
there. I did watch the Giro yesterday, so I watched the uh, parts of the uh, the time trial. Probably not the most exciting of days, because uh, as soon as uh, Roglic uh, kind of got that, it was then two hours of well, he's won, and then yeah. then it's kind of kind of a it, it killed the stage in many ways. It's like in a in a in a soccer, you know, when when a you know, team scores like six nil, it's like, well, okay, that game's over. So the, the Roglic thing was, that was, that was kind of over today, but it has been a bit, a bit more exciting today, but anyway, we're not, we're not discussing uh, the Giro, even though it is the world's most beautiful uh, bicycle race. I'm sure we'll talk about that in the next, uh, is, is, in is, the next show. What's this season going to be like in your opinion? Uh, well, with Team Ineos, it's going to be interesting. You know, they are very dominant uh they're very contentious now uh you know sky i don't know how much of you you, you well obviously you, you no know Murdoch is, it's no longer sky but you, you've you know the team sky was a contentious team already because it's the murdoch connection um and they've moved you know from from frying pan in, into the fire in that you know we you now get people protesting i don't think you had protests for sky um, apart from like when you know Froome was accused to be doping, but now you very much get environmental protests because Ineos is—I know this is not controversial in the US so much, but in the UK it's still very controversial—and that is fracking. So Ineos uh, is one of the the big, uh, well, it's an energy company in 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 total, but one, it's one of the frackers, and so you will get uh, environmental protesters turning up at uh, at races. So in the Tour de Yorkshire which uh, concluded um, last week, then you had people turning up and protesting against Team Ineos. So I think that's going to be ca- coming up this year. I think there'll be more more protests against, uh, against this dirty team, but dirty team not because of drugs, but dirty because of, yeah. of um, climate change. Do you yeah. see that? Do you, see, do, do, you, are you, do you get the feeling that Team Ineos is going to get it in the neck this year? I, I have not gotten – normally the Giro's where I start to follow seriously other than just scanning mm. headlines. But I hadn't, I hadn't heard of that. But fracking is a monster issue here in Colorado. We, we had a bill get defeated at the election in November, and then the legislature passed a similar one that got signed by the governor this last legislative session um, over fracking. And people swear. Uh, that it it is uh, personal health issues, let alone the environmental issues here in Colorado. So um, that's going to be interesting, especially since the tour of California was the first, well, really only the major race here in the U.S. this year. Um, I don't know if fracking is an issue in California or not, but everything normally is an issue in California. So it's going to be quite interesting to watch the Amgen tour um, to see what happens there. I'll try and dig out. I mean, I, I certainly read so there's mainstream articles in in the UK press where you know the tour of, the, of Yorkshire was was mentioned purely because of all of these these protests. So I'll try and dig out one or two of those those articles and put it in the show notes. Now, also in the show notes will be um, a, an article I did for Forbes, uh, which uh, was on uh, British cycling's latest campaign and this raises heckles with with people and even raises heckles with uh uh british cycling's policy advisor which which is chris boardman so uh, the official line 
uh, from British Cycling is that we asked our members, and they asked 15,000 of their members to, to do this survey. And it came out loud and clear that uh, British Cycling members, who do tend to be the, the roadies out there, um, so maybe not you know your, your transport cyclists, but they wanted uh, British Cycling to campaign to get a mutual respect campaign going between drivers and motorists. And whenever that comes up, you almost think, well, yeah, 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 of course, we, we'd love to see uh, mutual respect on the roads. But we are not talking about equality on the roads here in that can you really have mutual respect between somebody in a monster SUV and somebody on a, in effect, by comparison, very small uh, bicycle? So there's already inequities out there. And having a cyclist and a motorist uh, having mutual respect doesn't really work when on the, you know, one hand you've got puny and then the other hand you've got you've got mighty. So the puny will always get get squashed in effect. So British Cycling absolutely got a hammering uh, on this for, in, in certain circles. And the kind of cute thing was even Chris Boardman, the policy advisor, gave them a bit of a kicking by saying, well, yeah, it's not it's not an equality thing here. We shouldn't really have this and, and uh, mutual respect campaign. Uh, do you get that kind of thing in the US, Jim, where cycle advocacy organizations say we should have mutual respect on the roads? We, Your campaign has created more press. Your article has created more press here in the US than any other issue uh, that's been brought up by our cycling organizations. Um, there's all sorts of articles, blog posts about, you know, there is no mutual respect when there's 4,000 pounds versus 200 pounds. <clears throat> or in my case, 350 pounds. I have a lightweight bike. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> so, so yeah, you, you have created more of an interest than anybody else. Our, our trade associations are just concentrating mostly on getting more people to ride. Um, they have not really looked at um, the, the issues of the dangers of riding. That's mostly done by journalism here. There's, our trade associations haven't jumped on that. Um, they're just out there to get more people to ride. At the same time, and, and, and I love people for bikes, and I, the, the executive director is an old and good friend of mine. And I think they're doing a phenomenal job. They just took over the uh, Manufacturers Trade Association, BPSA. Mm -hmm. So they're now mm -hmm. one organization, but they're mostly funded by manufacturers whose main goal would be to get more product out the door. And so they have a different, slightly different uh, calling than maybe a, a UK operation. Um, I mean, how many, how many manufacturers are actually based in the UK? Because we have hundreds here. Actual making things? Yeah. I mean, they're all made yeah. in China. We know that. But, you know, that have a name that says brought to you by so-and-so from the UK. Uh, yeah. So you've got Brompton. Yeah. So <laughs> uh, you've got Pashley. So you've got some small ones. They're not versus, like. You know, here we have uh, specialized in Giant, Cannondale and, and uh, Trek. Um which are selling bikes worldwide. They're all based here in the United States. And so they 
are the purse strings leading all of the, um, the, the trade association, the, con the, the consumer, the cyclists, the hobbyists, the professionals, uh, marketing from an organization standpoint, direction from an organization standpoint. And so it's mostly sell more bikes. Um, mm. it, it, I may be wrong as usual, but that's, that's how I see it coming in. And I don't have a real mm. problem with that. I think if we get more people cycling, then we might get more people understanding the dangers and we get more drivers paying attention. If your mom starts cycling and she comes back in after a ride and says, somebody almost hit me, maybe as a kid, happy Mother's Day, everybody, um, mm -hmm. here in the U.S., you, you might realize yep. that's an issue and then pay attention to cyclists. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know. But well, yeah, you created more interest than, than, than with your article here in the U.S. than anything. It's mm -hmm. not, I've not seen any press other that's done anything about this other than based on your article. Mm -hmm. mm, that's good to know. Yeah. Uh, good to hear. Thank you. Now, you mentioned something there, and it, it, it sparked a, a bit of a thought in my mind. You talked about Cannondale, and you talked to a few other manufacturers, and where they make their, their bikes. And it just so happens that my son is leaving to go to the Far East today. And he, it's, it's going to take him a few months to, to get into to China. But he's going to be riding a bicycle in China. He's, he's going to be riding his bike back from, from China back to the UK. But I'm trying to get him to uh, to go to one of the factories where uh, these high-end bikes that we think of, you know, you've, you've mentioned those brands there, you think about US brands. And of course, they make their bikes in, in China. And where this is coming from is uh, on Twitter, uh, Horace uh, Didu, who is uh, the guy who is uh, famous for uh, micro mobility and, and like and, and making that uh, that that phrase so popular. So he's got like a cult following uh, online. Uh, he talked about how uh, Giant is the world's biggest bicycle manufacturer, and I just tweeted quite innocently back saying, "Well." You know they're not the biggest in um, in volume. They're the biggest, maybe perhaps in in revenue, but they're not the world's biggest bicycle manufacturer because there are other companies there that make much more than 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 Giant. Yeah. And he then posted all sorts of articles from all sorts of American business magazines saying, "No, no, Giant's the biggest." I'm saying, "Well, they've all just Googled this and they've come up with Giant because Giant's got the best PR." And they're very Western orientated, whereas actually there are there are companies twice as big as Giant in China making bikes for the like of Cannondale, and that company is called Fushida, and they make a brand of bicycle called Battle Bicycles, which you don't get in the US or the UK or Europe. It's just a Chinese brand, but it's made by Fushida, and they're twice as big as as Giant. So I'm actually going to get my son hopefully to. They're just not too far from uh, Beijing. So hopefully he'll go and visit that factory and he, he can report back from from Fushida. Anyway, that was kind of just when you mentioned Cannondale, that, that's what sparked my interest. Yeah. And of course, my son is very much packing his bags now to to go off to a factory potentially that, that makes Cannondale. Your kids do travel the world. That's awesome. That is true, isn't it? Actually, one one child comes back from Australia, and on the same day, the, no, <laughs> the other one is off to is off to cycle back from 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 China. Yeah, you're quite right. Um, 
we're also, I want to have a comment on that though. We were hmm. raised as a kid, grade school pounded into us that America is the biggest and the best. And, and it's very difficult for people of certain generations here in the United States to, to honestly believe that some other country does something better. Um, I know this sounds absurd, uh, but I have had conversations with people where they, where they got physically angry when I've said something like some other country has a higher standard of living or some other country does this better um, mm. than we do. And, and I don't say it to put the United States down. I say it because the studies say this is it. Maybe we have some, some better things we can do here in the U.S. And so I understand when somebody would say, oh, no, the U.S. bicycle company makes more bikes because we weren't ever allowed to think anything different growing up. Mm. Uh, we have, of course, got a a bit of a campaign going there in America to 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 make things in America oh, from now on. So maybe maybe Cannondale will actually bring all their bikes back because uh, your president said there's no uh, way. Uh, there's there's no infrastructure carbon fiber. There's the the only people that can deal with carbon fiber here in the United States are all making more money than the highest paid bicycle shop owner. In the United States, <clears throat> those excuse me, those people are working on carbon carbon fiber airplane parts for the airline. So they either work for an airline that has carbon fiber airplanes, or they're working for Boeing or somebody like that. We don't have anyone here in the United States that can put together a carbon fiber bicycle who's willing to do it for the price that would be done. And consequently, just the training and the manufacturing costs, startup costs alone, would put us behind for for three, four, five years before we got started. There is Trek. Trek. Trek does some carbon stuff in the U.S., but it's their very, very, very high end bikes. Right. So it's not something that you're going to get, you know, go and get like a $6,000 bike. Right. Uh, We've had it'd have to be many, many thousands of dollars more to get a, a Trek, US made Trek, carbon fiber. We have one aluminum manufacturer based in Arkansas. It is mm. the byproduct of a former attempt to do it that went bankrupt. Another group of people took over, um, bought whatever they needed, and they're giving it a try. Um, they make a beautiful bike. I've not ridden it, um, but they're making, I can't, I can't remember the number was 400 or 600 bikes a year. 600 bikes a year is nothing. You know, that's a drop in the bucket. Uh, versus See, uh, one, of, one of the last shows was actually an interview with Detroit bikes. Yeah. So their latest Kickstarter, uh, and, and I, I did that. Uh, Razors with, with Zach, Zach Pashak, uh, was a bike made in China. And it's a bike made in China because you can't make a bike in the US for $300. So he was hitting a price point there with a, a very sweet single speed uh, bike, uh, but you couldn't make it in America for that price. So he can make Detroit bikes in America, but they've got to be at least twice three times that price and so if he wants to bring a bike in at that price he's got to go to china or, or asia right we, we don't and 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 that price is just one thing we don't even have the skill sets here in the u.s to make a bike 
that's that's a scarier thing in my opinion is the fact that that if china quits making bicycles there won't be bikes you know mm. so you've got some tariffs potentially coming up or worse tariffs than you've already got just uh, started because of as a friday yeah. So that that potentially could hit bikes, as you said. If you oh, if you well. haven't got China making bikes, it, that's going to impact on 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 bikes. Yeah, if you if if that container hasn't hit the U.S. shores before mm-hmm. midnight Thursday night, Friday morning, it's going to cost you twenty five percent more than it did if the bike arrived or the bike component or whatever accessory might have been if it didn't hit the Wednesday. Um, and that's definitely going to hit electric bike sales. Oh, from yeah. What I, from my industry readings, that does, it would it really harm electric bikes, which are, uh, as we know, are coming, blossoming now in, in the US. Um, slightly less so in the UK, but certainly blossoming in the US. And, and this, would, this, would, this would harm it massively. Yeah. Tariffs like that. I, I just posted an article I saw, a video I saw of, of a guy mountain biking one course on a regular bike and an electric bike. Um, mm. and, and it was great. And he was honest. He said, yeah, the electric bike was was six minutes faster over about a 24, 28-minute ride. He says, but most of the time, it was just as slow as the bike because it couldn't go. You know, It helped me out in a few places, and that was it. Uh, electric bikes are, are just blossoming here in in Denver, I see them more and more every day, and it's wonderful. And it's mm. going to kill it. It's just basically going to kill it. Um, mm. You know, uh, Mad Dog Media did an article, a cartoon in the back of Brain the other day, where a guy came, went into the bike shop to look for an electric bike, and the 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 cartoon was basically, "Have you seen the the cost?" And the guy had sticker shock and left. Um, See, so you now just spoiled that for me. Excuse me? I, I don't get that. You've now spoiled the joke for me because um, I don't see brain until it lands here. <laughs> Probably about three weeks after you get it, I guess. You, so you now I, I've just, you just spoiled the joke. You, you don't get the uh, digital, digital version? Uh, no, I just get the posted one. They just send me it. In fact, they st- they shouldn't send me. To tell the truth, they shouldn't be sending me this anymore because I'm no longer in Royal Bike Biz. And that's clearly why they're sending it to me. Don't um, tell them. They don't here. Care. I know exactly. They they now know, uh, but yeah, no, I get a posted version, so I'm not on the. They ought to send just an electronic. I mean, much cheaper for them. Oh, and the electronic anyway, version I, is good. It's it's identical, yeah. and you leak through it. It usually arrives a day or two in advance of the the paper mm. version. So I get the I get both, um, but but because every once in a while there's something different. But yeah, the the mm. the uh, electronic version is great. No, well, I will look forward to uh, to getting uh, Patrick's cartoon in the next issue, yeah. <laughs> even though you've now told me the punchline. Sorry. Uh, it'd still be a good one. No, that's quite all right. Jim, on that note, I think we should stop recording, not because you've you've spoiled a joke for me, just because, well, we, we can't, <laughs> can't go on forever. Uh, so where can we get your stuff on the web, including... As you said before, you came. We come on air. You're bringing a book out on um, kayaking down the Grand Canyon. So tell us about that book first of all. That's, that that seems like a pretty cool book. Well, there's there are twenty some thousand people a year get to run a private trip through the Grand Canyon, um, and and how you did those trips has changed over the years. Twenty years ago, you had to be a, a whitewater 
rafting multi-day expert to do this. And nowadays everybody's doing it because you just enter a lottery and you can get lucky. So I wrote a book on how to do it for the people who don't know. It's not going to be a big seller. It's not going to be a bestseller. How to uh, boat the Grand Canyon. Uh, the yeah, Grand Canyon. So that's, that's going to be a Kindle book it's you were saying? So where, so where can people get that? Just the normal Kindle store? Uh, yeah. Uh, Amazon Kindle store for the next uh, 90 days. Then I'll hopefully get it to a couple other stores. But Boating the Grand Canyon, the how-to for private boaters. Uh, you've got to give it to them exclusive for a bit. Is that what the deal is? Yes. If you give them an exclusive, you get a bigger commission rate. Yeah. Okay. And so, so, so sold, three months. Yeah. I've sold three copies. That bigger commission rate <laughs> is uh, $4. <laughs> <laughs> but then niche... It's a niche title, but then niche is good on the internet because yeah. niche is where, where it's at. Yeah. Every I mean, niche. It, you know, if I sell a hundred copies a year, it's going to be a miracle. I'm going to dance. It was just something. It, it's 30 years of me collecting ideas and having them laying around mm-hmm. and put them all together. And then I went, I should just put it out there. So, so Jim, I'm assuming you're also linking this from your website. Uh, I will hear after we get off the, the, the podcast today. <laughs> so tell us what your website is. Tell us what your website is and tell us what your Twitter is, all that kind of stuff. Recreation-law.com is my website. Uh, legal articles, things, the legal end of the outdoor industry. Um, my Twitter handle is one word, recreation law. And if you Google recreation law, you're going to find me. Cool. Thank you very much. Thank you. And I would say that is a wrap for today's show. Thanks to Jim Moss there. And thanks too for the earlier contribution from Laura Laker. The next show will be recorded from Stockholm, which is hosting the Global Public Transport Summit. I'm actually taking the train there, a 24-hour journey, which will be kind of fun. But... Really, I can't fly to attend a public transit show. I'll be delving into the bicycle and micro-mobility aspects of the show. You'll get that show for free in your normal feed. But remember, if you want to hear from me and Laura at VeloCity in Dublin, then head over to Kickstarter and consider backing us. A bunch of podcast episodes recorded nearly live from the show costs just 20 bucks while it costs 950 bucks to attend Velo City, with travel and accommodation on top of that. There's a link to the Kickstarter campaign, and all of today's other subjects, of course, at thespokesmen.com, and that is, of course, with a hyphen in after the the, so www.the-spokesmen.com. Thanks for listening to today's episode, and... Get out there and ride.